When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. As I reached the door, I had a strong gut feeling shouting at me, don't open the door. We came home in the afternoon and even though we were all having a great time, I still had this weird feeling like someone was watching us. My stomach dropped and I froze in complete fear, tears filling my eyes as I watch someone just walk out of my house and down the stairs. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to the fun and challenging Best Fiends for supporting Disturbed, the binge-worthy mobile puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Thanks also to Coinbase for their support. Cryptocurrency might feel like a secret or exclusive club, but Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or just getting started, Coinbase can help. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com disturbed. Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will keep you on the edge of your seat. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Sarah C. 1986, featuring voice work by Danuta Marie, and we get that terrifying gut instinct. Mild trigger warning, this story contains mention of rape, but no details. I think the worst part of this story, at least for me, was the fact the true horror took place after the main event unfolded and that I had no idea how bad it was at the time. This happened around 17 years ago. For a bit of context, I'm totally blind and live in England. Back then, I was attending a college specifically for blind and partially sighted students. I was living in a hall of residence. My room was on the top floor. Each room was equipped with a buzzer system, which allowed us to be buzzed by our room number. We could then talk to our visitor and if necessary, let them in. Each buzzer also had a flip switch on its top, so it could be turned off when we didn't want to be disturbed. We used to have complete control of when our individual buzzer was on or not. 
but that was lost after this happened. I'll get to that later. So this took place on a Saturday night into a Sunday, around three in the morning. I was asleep when I was woken by the harsh sound of my buzzer. Now, my only reaction at this time was annoyance, thinking somebody was drunk and had lost their key or something, or someone was just being stupid. So I ignored it, flipped my buzzer off, and went back to sleep. A short time later, a matter of minutes, I heard a male voice giggling outside my room door, then what sounded like someone trying to pick my lock. By this point, I was thoroughly pissed off, so I got out of bed to open my door and tell whoever it was to fuck off. However, as I reached the door, I had a strong gut feeling shouting at me, don't open the door. I listened to this instinct and went back to bed. But all these years later, that action still haunts me and I wish I could go back and open the door. Despite extensive counseling at the time, plus family, close friends, and police telling me I did the right thing, I still suffer with a form of PTSD because of my actions that night. Just days ago, I talked to a friend who's like my big sister about these events and ended up in tears. So I went back to sleep, still convinced it was a drunken prank or someone just messing around. Little did I know the truth. As a result, the next morning, I was not at all prepared to find myself in the warden's office with the warden and a police officer, nor was I prepared for the awful story they needed to tell me. I had mentioned in passing to the warden that morning what I'd heard the night before, still under the impression it was harmless. I'd almost thrown it out there as a casual comment. So being brought in to talk to the police just hours later was not what I was expecting at all. It turned out that a previous student at the college, let's call him Ash, had broken into my hall of residence high on drugs and armed with a knife. He had tried and failed to pick my lock before moving on to another room. Ash had left the previous year and I was in my third year of study. Only a few of us older students knew who Ash was and we were not allowed to tell first and second years his name as they didn't know him. Ash had reached the room of another student who is autistic. He'd got into her room. To this day, I don't know if he picked her lock or she opened the door. Either way, he got in and raped her at knife point. Unfortunately, due to her autism, she could not report the rape as she didn't understand the implications of it. Or maybe not, indeed, what happened. So Ash only got a breaking and entering charge and served way less time in prison than he should have. I got a summons to attend court as a witness slash victim as he'd tried my lock first, but I didn't have to attend. My guess is he either pleaded guilty or they had more than enough evidence without me needing to testify. To this day, I suffer for want of a better word, survivor's guilt and PTSD. I should have ignored my instincts and opened my door that night. Not only would I have saved a fellow student from a horrific ordeal, but I could have reported him if he'd tried to or had raped me and got him a much harsher sentence. Everyone, including the police, have tried to reassure me she wouldn't remember it or be anywhere near as affected as I would have had it been me, but I still hate myself. My family and friends too have said he wouldn't have listened to me if I'd opened my door. I'd just be putting myself in danger. But even now, 17 years later, I can't forgive myself for my lack of action that night. I'm not especially religious, but if that was God telling me not to open my door that night, 
I'd like to know why he allowed someone else to go through something like this in my place. I knew Ash. He'd worked in the student bar and we'd talked, so I still believe I could have talked him down, regardless of what police and my therapist say. Much to my anger, which I and my fellow third years made very well known to the relevant powers, I might add, security was only fitted after the event. Talk about closing the stable door after the horses bolted. We had heavy metal plates fitted across the hall doors, which were impossible to cut through, and CCTV cameras placed above the doors. Our buzzers were also all turned off with a master switch at 11 p.m. every night, and only turned back on at 7 the next morning. We were told security guards and frisking would be employed if necessary, something which infuriated me as it had taken this horrible event for them to consider even CCTV relevant, let alone security guards and protective plates across the doors. Now, I went back to that college in 2008 to prepare for a work course. I was in another of the halls, and the first thing I felt upon entering was that metal plate. Talk about flashbacks. I'd just like to finish by saying a huge thank you to the Reddit user who posted the story about their aunt surviving Henry Lee Lucas. Without your story, I wouldn't have had the courage to submit this to be heard or read. When your aunt had the instinct not to pull over very strongly, I can relate and bond with her completely, as that was the exact same feeling I had. Okay, Ash wasn't a serial killer, but that gut feeling of danger was just as strong as in your account. So thank you for giving me the courage and strength to post this, even 17 years later. So to Ash, let's never meet again. I didn't know you anymore after that night. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. Up next, we have a listener submission from Courtney, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we attempt to deal with a haunting. My best friend was getting married in November of 2017. So, as most traditions go, he put together a bachelor weekend October 27th through the 29th of that year. We all decided on the Finger Lakes in New York, as most of us had been there before, and it's a fun place to go and get drunk quickly. Isn't that the point of bachelor slash bachelorette parties? Lord knows I was wasted at mine. There was a total of 11 of us that weekend. I went with the groom-to-be and three of our friends on that Friday. We drove down early so we could stop at the grocery store and pick up some things. The plan was the five of us would check out the house we were all staying in, drop our stuff, then hit up a few wineries and a distillery before everyone else got there Friday night. The turn to the driveway which led to the house was about a mile or so. It felt like a decent little drive with nothing but woods surrounding us. That's not uncommon for that area, but I'd never stayed in a house where it was that far off the road. The gravel road led to a huge house that was pretty secluded. There was a decent backyard with a steep hill that led to the lake. Once inside, there was a big open kitchen area and living room straight off the entrance. There was also a little library den off the living room as well. Upstairs, there was a master bedroom with an adjoining bathroom. I think there was another room or two at the other end of the hall, but I never looked. There was also a whole other living quarter in the basement. There was another kitchen and bedroom, 
with another adjoining bathroom and a huge laundry room. The basement was creepy the more time we spent there, but I'll get into that in a minute. We had a quick look around, dumped our stuff, then went out to find some drinks. We first went to this really awesome distillery. I'm not a huge shot person where I can drink just straight liquor, so I opted for a vodka soda, which was so good I had three in the span of 20 minutes. Did I mention it was hot out? From there, we went to one of my favorite wineries, Americana. We went to do a tasting, and the girl helping us told us we could sample everything on the menu instead of only picking four to five. After trying, I don't know, 25 wines or so, honestly, I lost track. We saw they had a slushy machine, so maybe four later, I, along with everyone else, was white girl wasted. I was so drunk I couldn't even stand up without falling. I remember that night, but just a lot of dancing and eating. I passed out in the library by myself, where most everyone else doubled up in a room. The reason I'm explaining how drunk I was is because I was so out of it, I didn't notice and or care about what was happening around me. The next morning, I went to use the shower attached to the bedroom in the basement. My two friends were sharing that room, but both were up already. I showered and was getting ready when the door handle started to open, as if someone was coming in. I put my foot in front of the door to stop it from opening anymore, as I had zero clothes on. I pushed it shut and locked it. Hold on, I'm just getting dressed, I'll be right out. The door handle was pushed down a few more times. I threw back on my PJs and opened the door, but there was no one there. I immediately had a very uneasy feeling like someone was watching me. I was overcome with a feeling of not wanting to be alone. So I grabbed all my stuff from the bathroom and literally ran upstairs to the main floor. I asked if anyone had been downstairs and they all said no. I brushed it off and we all went out for the day. We came home in the afternoon and even though we were all having a great time, I still had this weird feeling like someone was watching us. During the afternoon, all of us were sitting around in the living room playing games when the master bedroom door slammed shut, and I mean loud. Everyone froze and looked up towards the bedroom. No one was up there, and there were no windows open that would have caused it. We all just looked at each other and tried to laugh it off. It happened a few more times, where the upstairs doors would keep slamming, and there was no one up there opening them back up. You could actually see the one bedroom from the main floor, and at one point we watched it close forcefully and then open. Some of the guys in the group started yelling out loud, is there a spirit here? For some reason, that freaked me out more, especially as we were getting into Saturday evening. I don't know about everyone else, but I just tried to shrug everything off. Yes, it freaked me out, but at the same time, I wasn't going to let it influence my weekend. That night, I didn't want to sleep by myself, and the two girls who had stayed in the basement the night before did not want to sleep there again. I ended up staying in the master bedroom with my best friend. I went to bed before him. I kept the door open and left the light on. There were two paper lantern lights above my head. I closed my eyes for a few minutes, then opened them. The light above my head was swinging in a circle while the other stood completely still. No fans in the room, no windows open, and no air vents either. I literally looked for any rational explanation. I squeezed my eyes shut and rolled over, trying to keep from freaking out. I just kept thinking, there's nothing there. The next morning, we were all packing to head out. Since we were staying at an Airbnb, we had to wash the sheets per the owner's request. It took like three hours, and every time I went to the basement, 
there was that non-stop feeling of being watched. I know it seems like nothing happened and what did was so minimal this may seem like a lame story. I love horror and don't scare easily, but being somewhere where things don't seem right gives you such a strange feeling. For me, I just tried to ignore it and be rational, but it was still creepy. Even now, years later, when I talk to my best friend about that weekend and the house, he always says, oh yeah, that house was definitely haunted. Are you terrified yet? You will be. Now let me set the stage. It was a night just like any other. We ate dinner, chatted for a bit about work and life. Everything seemed normal. Then suddenly, I was gone. But there was no reason to worry. I was just off scoring some quality time with best fiends. Now others might wonder about your mysterious disappearances, but if you're having as much fun with Best Fiends as I am, there's no secret why you sneak off to play. Best Fiends has become a go-to for me to unwind and de-stress after recording sessions. I absolutely love that rush of adrenaline you get after leveling up, and the increasingly challenging puzzles help keep my mind active and sharp. Now I've been playing for pretty close to a year now, and I'm up to level 205, and I've been having an absolute blast with the game. There's really no competition I've found in similar games, and trust me, I wouldn't keep talking about Best Fiends if I didn't love playing it. I've got some friendly competition going between my friend and we always go back and forth about what level we've made it to. Right now, I've got the upper hand. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. And with offline play, you will never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. How cool is that? I love the actual gameplay itself because it's fun and engaging and just very smooth and slick and that's what I like. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play, plus earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Are you crypto curious? If you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed, first of all, I definitely feel you. But secondly, there's no need to worry because Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell super simple. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy to use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. And in my personal experience, Coinbase is 1000% the way to go. I've used and tried other trading platforms for crypto and none of them come close to how easy and user-friendly Coinbase is. If you're looking to just dip your toes in and maybe learn a little bit more about how crypto trading works, I promise you Coinbase absolutely needs to be your first and only destination. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a phenomenal mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place, right from your phone. And they support the most popular digital currencies on the market, making them available to everyone. I do all my crypto buying, selling, and trading on Coinbase, and I knew almost nothing about crypto when I first started, but Coinbase made me totally comfortable with the whole process. The interface and user experience will make you never want to look elsewhere for your crypto needs. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com disturbed. So sign up at coinbase.com disturbed for $10 in free Bitcoin. 
This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure you sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash disturbed. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host... Chad. Now let's hear from one of our listeners straight off the hotline at disturbedpodcast.com slash hotline, free and available to all listeners. So Kayla, take it away. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have never told anyone about my experience of what happened when I was six years old. I've only told one person and that's my boyfriend, but I'm ready to share my experience because I want to hopefully get some answers of what I saw and what I felt because I still don't have answers to this day. And over the past six years, I still have no answer of what I saw and why I saw it. And so the story goes, I was six years old at the time of my first encounterment of something paranormal, and it's not a good paranormal thing. So... I was six years old living in Aubrey, Texas. I still live in Aubrey, Texas. I just live at a different house. And thank God I don't live in that same house because I've had some other paranormal experiences that aren't that big. But I'm wanting to talk about this one because this one was my first ever experience. And so I was six years old at the time. It was around 9 or 9.30 to 10, somewhere between the 9 and 10 range at night. I woke up just randomly. I was sweating. I was hot. I felt uneasy and uncomfortable. So my first thought was, let's just go get some water. That'll help me and I'll go back to sleep. I get out of my room and I head down the small hallway. And at the time, my house was small. It was only like a one second walk from my bedroom to the kitchen. So I went to the kitchen I got some water in a cup and I was drinking it and I saw my dad was still in the living room, but he was passed out watching TV. And I just had a pull to my parents' bedroom. So I went across the kitchen to the archway that leads to their bedroom. And if you stand in the archway, that is their entrance of the bedroom. You can directly see their bathroom as well if you just stand at the doorway and their bathroom door was open. So I went to the bedroom of my parents' room and it's so dark. Like I can't see anything. Like I ran into the wall. Like I hit my foot on the wall and 
I stopped dead in my tracks because I looked straight ahead into their bathroom and in the bathroom doorway is this tall nine to 10 foot tall, thick, black, distorted, shadowy looking figure. And his eyes were dark brown to almost like a dark red. And he had this hat on, it's just, I don't know how to describe what hat it was. Cause I know there's types of hats out there, but if I can't, but the only way I can describe it is that it was just a circle hat with like a, that would have like a black strap around it. That's the type of hat he had on. Not the black strip, but the circle hat. And I was staring at it for a good four to five seconds. And I was just so scared. And all of a sudden my eyes flashed white as if like truck, the brightest truck headlights were blinding me. And for a split second, I rubbed my eyes to like get my eyes back in check after that brightness just taken over my eyesight and all of a sudden that figure is gone and I just scream because I thought he like ran at me and he did something to my eyes at that age and I was just so scared and then fast forward five years yeah five years I never thought I would have to relive or think back to this day I had a best friend at that time when I was six years old. I had a childhood best friend and we lost contact when she moved. And when I moved shortly after that, about a year or two after she moved, she found me on Snapchat. And so we were reconnecting. We were talking about old memories and we were wanting to hang out and stuff. And then she asked me about that experience I had because I told her about it when I was little. Cause you know how we kids are, we tell our best friends everything when we're like very young and stuff. And so she told me about the experience that I had and reminded her about it, but I didn't tell her what I saw, like what he looked like. I told her what I saw, which was a black distorted figure, shadowy figure, but I didn't tell her exactly what it looked like. I didn't tell her about the hat or the eyes. She told me that she experienced the same thing at this present time, years later, five years later, she told me that she just experienced that same thing. And she asked me if this is what it looked like with the dark brown, dark red eyes with the, with the circle hat. And I told her, how did you know that that's what I experienced? That that's the same evil spirit that I experienced? And then she was like, cause that's what happened to me. And so she did research about that and apparently it's related to one of the seven deadly sins which i think is gluttony which at the time i didn't understand what gluttony is but now i do i couldn't put my finger on it as to why possibly the spirit that could have been related or somehow connected to one of the seven deadly sins i don't understand but she did research on it and he apparently goes to certain houses to spy on certain people. And apparently at my house, it was me and at her house, it was her. And I'm only wanting to really express this story now because a couple weeks ago, I had a really bad like conflict with God. I'm a Christian. So like I was like at the point where I was just done with my faith and everything and all of a sudden, I just hear this deep, horrifying, monstrous growl. And I look outside my window, because that's where I heard it from. And out of the corner of my eye, 
in my backyard, I saw that same figure. And I was just speechless. Like I rubbed my eyes because I was afraid that that bright light, because that was the first thing that popped into my head was the bright lights. I was scared. So I closed my eyes. I shook my head and I just went to the bathroom and closed the door and sat by the tub because I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to wake up my parents. I didn't want to wake up my brothers. I didn't want to do anything. So I just began to pray and ask God, why does this keep, why is this happening to me? This happened to me over five years ago and it's happening to me now. And I still don't understand why to this day, this same evil spirit is here and it followed me here. I don't know if it's because I lived in this, I'm living in the same area. Like I literally moved like three neighborhoods over to where I used to reside in. And just thinking about it right now, imagine that figure in my backyard, in my old home. I have chills running down my spine. I have goosebumps all over my arms and my legs and everything. And I'm just, I'm scared that I'm going to encounter this spirit again, either when I'm in a very bad place mentally or just any time in my life at this point. I don't talk to my best friend anymore. So I don't know if she's experiencing the same thing, but I feel like I should reach out to her because I'm just scared that this is going to happen again. And if it does happen again, I'm not going to know how to react. And I'm I just don't know, like I'm speechless. Like I'm scared me talking about this. He can hear this and he's gonna come and somehow scare me to death or do something. I don't know, but hopefully if anybody's listening to this and they have a connection to this story, then you can hopefully reach out to me and hopefully provide me some answers as to what did I see that night? And why is he still following me? And what is his purpose? Cause I went on Reddit I went on Google describing this entity and nothing is popping up except for what my friend told me. I can't find the information that she told me. And so ever since then, my first encounter at six years old, I have been studying and researching all the paranormal things that are going on in this world. And I'm going to start going on ghost hunts as well. So I don't know if that is what's causing it to still be around me. I don't know. I'm just worried, but if anybody has answers as to what I saw and can provide some light on it, I would be very, very grateful of you guys. So thank you so much for listening and stay safe out there. Thanks, Kayla. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you've had a run-in with the Hat Man, a widespread phenomenon where witnesses report seeing a shadowy entity dressed in an old top hat on some occasions and a fedora type hat on other occasions. Now take a listen to this clip from Quartz News. The vision is virtually the same everywhere. I collected accounts from forums, chat rooms, books, and interviews, and noticed a few common themes. He is dark, he is featureless. He wears a hat. And when people see him, they feel paralyzed, unable to speak, a crushing sense of breathlessness, like something evil is pressing on their chests. And when they're finally able to move, he's gone. I haven't seen him in years, but I fear him. You know, I, I, uh, yeah, I do for sure. I wanted to speak to someone who could make sense of all of this. 
I think it is a real challenge for the, for the kind of scientific explanations to explain why some of these themes seem to crop up time and time again. Chris is a psychologist who studies paranormal experiences. He says people who see things like the hat man aren't crazy or lying. That fear and that vision is real, but the explanation has a lot more to do with culture than ghosts. If you look at the way it's interpreted across different cultures, that's absolutely fascinating because you've got the same core experience, but it's kind of got this cultural overlay. This nightmarish figure has inspired art and myths across cultures and history. In Assyria and Babylon, an evil spirit was said to leap upon unsuspecting victims as they slept. In ancient Greece, a doctor wrote of a demon that visited his patients at night and pressed upon their chests. Similar specters appear in folktales told from the Arctic to Japan to Newfoundland. And for most of history, no one knew why. By the late 20th century, the science of sleep evolved to offer another explanation. It's called sleep paralysis. You're stuck in a state where you're awake, but the only thing you can do is move your eyes, breathe. Alon Avedon is the director of the Sleep Disorders Center at UCLA. He says we're always paralyzed while we dream. That's normal. But when the brain wakes up before the body does, that's sleep paralysis. You cannot scream, you cannot talk. In fact, a lot of people experience sleep paralysis. And it can come with terrifying visions. Sleep scientists have a specific term for this. One unique parasomnia is called terrifying hypnagogic hallucinations. What happens is the patient wakes up and they start seeing images of other people who are trying to, to hurt them. But even Abaddon says he doesn't understand why all those hallucinations are so similar. It's fascinating in that uh, you take individuals across different geographic entities and yet the dreams seem to be similar. Why does it happen? Why are the dreams not pleasant? Chris, the psychologist, thinks he might have an idea. Sleep paralysis visions are shaped by cultural influences the dreamer may not even be consciously aware of. For example, that man in the hat looks an awful lot like a figure we've come to associate with horror. Who the hell is that? The hat man, uh, when I sat and thought about it, the thing that came to my mind was this. Freddy Krueger and the, the kind of nightmare on Elm Street films were actually directly inspired by sleep paralysis. This notion that you can be attacked when you're asleep, that's when you're vulnerable. Uh, and of course, Krueger wears a hat. That clip comes courtesy of Quartz News, featuring reporting by Corrine Pertil. Now, you don't mention that your experience was technically sleep paralysis, but it was shortly after you woke up. I can't say for sure whether or not you experienced what's known as the hat man, but it is interesting that so many people have reported experiencing something so similar from all around the world. Thanks again, Kayla, for your submission. And finally, we close out the show with an email submission from Jasmine featuring voice work by Rhiannon Mauschel, and we have an intruder in the house. My boyfriend usually leaves for the gym early in the morning, around five, so he can make it to work on time for 8 a.m. Our top floor apartment is pretty secluded. You turn from the main street down a side street that takes you on a long, windy road through some woods to our front gate that requires a key fob to get in. In my mind, we were as safe as Fort Knox, and for the most part, the neighborhood was quiet and friendly. My front door has a double lock, but only from the inside. 
the deadbolt lock cannot be unlocked from the outside. So when my boyfriend leaves for the gym, I usually listen for the one lock and feel safe enough to doze back off to sleep. This has been our routine for about a month now as my boyfriend just got this job. He would get up, let our dog out of the crate, who would then come lay with me, and he'd head to the gym for an hour or so and come back home to get ready for work. This particular morning, I became complacent and didn't bother to listen for the lock. I fell back asleep almost immediately, but for what only felt like a few minutes before some force jolted me out of my sleep. My house is still pretty dark and I look at my phone and it has only been about five minutes since he'd left. I listen for just a second to see if I hear anything and I don't. Now, I listen to this podcast and this is usually the part where someone hears footsteps, but I didn't hear anything. My dog would have absolutely started barking if she heard anything and this should have been assuring, but it wasn't. So I got up with my miniature guard dog in my arms to lock the deadbolt just to feel better. Our spare bedroom is right across the hall from us, which doubles as a storage unit and this door usually is shut as we have just moved here and haven't had guests. But this morning, it was cracked open. I initially didn't think anything of it. Maybe my boyfriend went in there for something. But when I went to lock my front door, I noticed it was completely unlocked. I grabbed my keys and bolted out of my house, bare feet and all, and ran down the stairs to my car that was parked on the far side of the parking lot. I got in and locked the door and looked around to see if anyone was chasing me. I saw no one. I could have sworn I heard heavy footsteps behind me as I left my house, but I never looked back. After a few minutes of sitting there, I thought I must have just been paranoid and told myself I need to stop listening to true crimes before bed. As I'm texting my boyfriend what happened, about to laugh at the situation, my stomach dropped and I froze in complete fear, tears filling my eyes as I watched someone just walk out of my house and down the stairs. They were going in the opposite direction of me, but the street light illuminated them just enough for me to see the light reflect off the knife in their hand. I couldn't move. I saw them walk confidently to the end of our apartment cul-de-sac to the street like they were familiar with this place, and disappeared down the street towards other apartments. Once they were out of sight, I started bawling my eyes out. How did this person get in my house? Did my boyfriend forget to lock the door? Did they pick the lock? Were they watching? How'd they know he'd be gone? When did he get in there? All of these questions made me sick to my stomach. How long had that person been watching us? I finally stopped crying long enough to call my boyfriend and tell him to come home and he was home within 10 minutes. He called the police since I was still pretty shaken and talked to them for me. They came, looked around our place along with my boyfriend, I stayed downstairs, and said there was no sign of forced entry, although my boyfriend assured them that he locked the door. He also alerted our front office that same morning and had maintenance change our locks. When our maintenance men came, one of them kept asking questions that seemed a little too comfortable about what happened to us. He asked, how did someone get into your apartment without a key? And gave a grimacing smile. My boyfriend answered him without giving that question a second thought and said, I don't know, but they're lucky my girl didn't go for the gun closet. And I watched his face go cold. After they left, I told my boyfriend I thought it was the maintenance man. And he assured me that it wasn't possible, but it's the only explanation that makes sense. Who would ask a question that way? We moved shortly after this, terminating our contract early because of the break-in. 
Neither of us could sleep peacefully and always felt a lingering feeling of paranoia. I can't prove it, but to the maintenance man who broke into my apartment, I hope we never meet again. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through our hotline, all available at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters. Sydney Harrington, Edgar, Janet Workman, Phoebe Pridgen, Brian Jelinek, Give Me Cake or Give Me Death, not a birth name, I'm guessing, Jason Covert, Janaya Lipscomb, Entire Bag of Chips, also not a birth name, Jonathan Walker, Casey Riley, Shikari666, and Angela Stone. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too. Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.